even in podcasting and uh, Spotify uh, era, I think there's still a great excitement to hearing your voice coming out of the radio. And as long as there's a little bit of that happening around camp at different times of the day, then we've got this tremendous excitement that we uh, transfer to what's going on in the studio, which is the important part for the kids. Welcome to Radio Survivor. My name is Paul Reesmandel, and with me is... Eric Klein here. Hello, everybody. And joining us for San Francisco is... Jennifer Waits. And on today's show, (laughs) I am loving how, Jennifer, you are finding radio stations in all these places you wouldn't think there are radio stations. And we say radio stations, we mean real radio stations with transmitters and studios and microphones that somebody can tune in on a radio. Yeah, that matter a lot to the people who live in the very, uh, you know, close quarters community around those broadcast facilities. And so two weeks ago, right, we talked with the engineer behind an FM radio station on Antarctica. So that's one end of the earth. Yeah, where it was a, a... a science and military base, you know, that's that's their broadcast. Well, one of their broadcast options, one of the only, you know, half a dozen broadcast options is this radio station where we uh, that's got like, to talk about. like a college station. It's yeah. like a community radio station that has, you know, DJs who are there at, at the complex at McMurdo Station on Antarctica. And now we're going to jet over to the Poconos of Pennsylvania to learn about Summer Camp Radio. Jennifer, how did this ever come onto your radar? So I saw an article in Radio World that was titled The End of Carrier Current, question mark, which, you know, we talk about carrier current from time to time on the podcast. Yeah, we'll learn more about that technology uh, on today's episode. Yeah, it's an intriguing technology. But as I read the article, there, you know, embedded within it was the author, uh, Dan Braverman, his tale about starting up his first radio station at summer camp and how he turned that into an entire business setting up, you know, upwards of 350 summer camp radio stations by the nineties. And I had never heard of summer camp radio. So I was completely intrigued about this whole, you know, clearly it was something that, that spread like crazy during a certain period of time. It sounds like Jennifer, you and I, hadn't heard about summer camp radio because we were raised here on the west coast of the united states and uh up in the northeast it was much more common for there to be a radio station at your summer camp yeah that's my guess you know i did go to one sleepaway camp and as far as i know there wasn't a a summer camp radio station but dan helped set up numerous you know hundreds of summer camp radio stations and he said all over the country. So not yeah. not purely an East Coast phenomenon. Yeah, but, but the density was there. But yeah, so I was just fascinated with this idea of of how you could create this radio community at a sleepaway camp. And I continued to be intrigued by it, thinking about something that might have been broadcast over AM just during camp that nobody is hearing outside of the camp walls. And that experience continues today at his childhood summer camp. So I look forward to everybody hearing this story. Yeah, so uh, let's jump right into the interview with Dan Braverman. And we're joined on the line via Skype with Dan Braverman. He is president of Radio Systems Incorporated. And Dan, you're here to talk with us about summer camp radio. And... (laughs) I'm just going to start with with a hard question, which is, why are there radio stations in summer camps? How did this happen? Well, I can tell you how it happened in my case, uh, which is that I was the uh, quintessential destructive kid at camp that uh, did charming things like uh, wire the uh, fence around camp at Visitor's Day with 110 volts to shock anybody trying to get in. Um, or then uh, took to waking up the camp on the PA system in uh, the middle of the night. And the director, uh, instead of throwing me out like he should have, since it was an educational camp, decided to see if he could uh, channel some of that energy creatively and found an ad for some, I don't know, $100 AM radio kit in a magazine. He said, this is your last chance. Let's see if we can uh, do this uh, 
without a non-disruptive educational basis. And we started a little radio station in Bunk One when I was still a camper so many years ago. I don't want to divulge. And, and, and where where is this camp? What is this camp? This camp is uh, called Camp Rama. It exists today, doing great, as well as its radio station. It still exists today. And it's uh, tucked away up in the uh, Pocono Mountains on uh, the east coast of uh, the United States, of course, along with thousands of other summer camps, which is a, it's a great area for camps. When you first started this radio station, when, when the kit opened up and you built it, what were the first things that you did over the air? <laughs> well, it didn't work very well. We were, uh, we were nine years old at the time, so it took a year or two to get the range uh, uh, past the boys' campus and onto the girls' campus. Um, but it, it uh, started out pretty quickly um, as, as, as a great camp um, activity, and it got so much attention, just broadcasting out of the bunks as a kind of an unofficial little club, that the camp quickly decided to give us space in the uh, in the social hall and uh, buy us some uh, real um, real broadcast equipment and turn it into a camper activity. Um, and there it did it did great good and uh, and became a real fixture in camp for all sorts of reasons. And did everyone have radios in their cabins to listen to your station? Well, it, it's a good question and another good timely question. The answer is yes, certainly. Back in the good old days, every counselor had a uh, had a, a clock radio with uh, which featured AM, and uh, and they used it to wake up and then turn the uh, the radio on to uh, 6:40 AM, the uh, sort of international carrier current frequency. Then that's the technology that we used back then. Of course, using the electrical wires of the camp as the broadcast antenna. And uh, and uh, we didn't we didn't start a morning without uh, without every uh, every bunk tuned in because uh, we quickly learned the programming tricks. You know we couldn't be near as much of a flamethrower as uh, the local Honesdale stations or WABC, which which could be received from New York City, nice clear channel station. Um, so we quickly learned how to program. For instance, nothing was more important to those bunks than what was for breakfast that morning. So the uh, the cook was always interviewed. And uh, I remember my, probably my best first experience, which was deciding that we would, uh, we would uh, uh, do a bunk of the day. And uh, I think bunk seven was the first uh, award winner. And uh, we announced bunk seven and then quickly heard a cheer off in the distance. And I said, <laughs> right. They're listening. That was something that the uh, Arbitrons, now the Nielsen's, uh, can't offer you in terms of uh, audience feedback. <laughs> and, and, and Dan, you said that you used carrier current. You had this AM radio transmitter kit uh, that the uh, camp director decided to get to, to cha properly channel your energies into something more constructive. Uh, maybe could you explain a little bit to folks who, who don't know what that means? Uh, what, what is an AM carrier current transmitter? Like, how does that work? And, and, and is it legal? Was it a legal station? Yeah, um, sure. The, the FCC, um, forever now, um, has, has kindly allowed on the AM band and, and the AM band alone. There, there's plenty of people doing this on FM and claiming that it's legal. And it's not the kind of jail thing they'll go to jail for. But in fact... The, the only legal way to broadcast unlicensed uh, is on the AM band and carrier current and, and, and the rules are very specific in terms of signal strength. Uh, but there's two main technologies for that. One is carrier current, which uh, was very popular on uh, college campuses back then. And we're talking, oh, uh, 50s, 60s and 70s um, when it was called the gas pipe network. Um, and uh, that uses the electrical wiring of the camp or the dormitories, in the case of a college, as the broadcast antenna. To get um, dweeby technical, it takes advantage of something called near-field radiation. So it creates a, a, a localized signal around every piece of electrical wiring. And, of course, since most radios are then literally plugged into the antenna, it's, it's a good, strong signal. 
not without its technical problems, because among other things, you got to share that electrical wiring with 60 cycle AC, and and the 60 cycle AC hum was pervasive yeah. on these uh, on these stations. It it didn't sound great. You got to use the old carrier current joke. The reason it hums is because it doesn't know the words, but. That was it's the only carrier current joke I know. Thank you for laughing, Jen. That's a that well. That's a now like one of our favorite jokes on radio. Good, right? yeah, so, so we're doing good. Feel and free. Feel and free. I'm sitting here though, going, "Wow!" And they're letting uh, this kid in camp mess around with the with the electrical wiring. Yeah, somebody would say like, "Well, that sounds tired. dangerous." <laughs> I think the caretaker uh, wired it up. But the, the really good news is that about. I should have the year for the sake of this broadcast, but um, I think it was in the 80s that the regulations changed. And um, the FCC said that uh, you could use a regular antenna. In fact, you could use any power level and any kind of antenna you wanted and build a really traditional type of transmission system that wasn't connected to the electrical lines. And the only caveat there was that the, it had to be for an educational institution, but we quickly defined uh, summer camps as educational institutions, so we got around that. And the second thing is that it, the signal had to be effectively confined to your grounds. So since most of these camps are on acres and acres and acres and acres, that worked out great. So we got to replace this hummy carrier current electrical wiring system with a regular broadcast antenna. And to this day, we sound terrific on the, on, on the AM band. So this station is still there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was up there four days ago, as a matter of fact. And um, every year, I'm, uh, it's a great nostalgia for me. I stay over at camp at night, uh, uh, drink uh, some of the bug juice in uh, the uh, social hall and uh, have lunch and uh, train uh, the new kid that they uh, in, in how to run the radio station and, uh, and uh, set the equipment up with him. And it goes on year after year. And what, what kind of programming do they do now in 2018 at summer camp? <laughs> well, the, um, the, the program manual that I wrote back when I was a camper um, is still utilized. And a lot of the ideas are, are work out great or are timeless. Um, as I said before, rather than try to compete with the, with the other radio stations or these days with this uh, – internet thing I heard uh, that the kids are listening to. Um, what we do is we try to keep it incredibly localized for camp. So an interview with a baker um, um, shows about um, what camper, what camp counselors do at home, which is fascinating mm. to the kids. Um, shows time to holidays like 4th of July or in the case of this Jewish camp, uh, the Sabbath or some of the Jewish uh, holidays that come up uh, during the year. Uh, during the summer um, are, are all great shows. And more than that, involving different camp uh, programs. For instance, most camps have uh, plays during the year. We invite the actors um, uh, from the from the particular plays over the day before and then they take a major scene and do it as a radio play. Or the nature department does animal of the day and they take little digital recorders out and record different animal sounds. So it should start to sound to you. This is the sort of perfect microcosm of a, of a community with a radio station that you know, might as well be WABC Clear Channel um, in terms of what it does for camp. And does it, you talked about how you're training the person who will be running it this summer. So how does that management work from year to year? And is it structured kind of like a college radio station where you might have different kids taking on different roles at the station? Yeah, I, I think like a college radio station, it, it can be it can have good years and bad years, uh, depending on 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 the quality of, of the people involved. But part of the uh, of the hour and a half long speech that I made, uh, which is uh, my standard, uh, which I made uh, just three days ago to this new director. And I'd be happy to give you guys and, and your listeners the entire hour and a half long speech if you'd like. It is a podcast. Um, we can do it. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, but let me let me distill it to a few uh, salient points for now. And that is that um, uh, the less they hear of him on the air um, and the more they hear the kids talking, obviously a better job I know he's doing, the less they're playing music on the air and the more we're hearing, you know, the menu of the day and, and, and the camp drama department doing an act, the better the job they're doing. And, and I think this is an important point that, that, a, that a camp radio station and maybe a college radio station is, as well 
while listenership is great and while listenership is important, it's really not as important as what's happening in the station in terms of the social skills and the speaking skills and the technical skills that all these kids are learning. Now for today's Machanerma What If story, here's Jesse Dolkin. What if Joel's dog Abe became director of camp? This is how it would happen. Joel broke his leg, which means that we needed a temporary director until he got better. Michelle openly says that she doesn't want to be temporary director, so a camp-wide poll was created to elect a temporary director for camp. By the end of the week, we had a new director, Abe the dog, and that's how Abe became director of camp. Um, so if we can get a few radios around and, and create the aura of listenership, um, that's, that's really what we need. Because there's still, even in, even in podcasting and uh, Spotify uh, era, um, I think there's still a great excitement to hearing your voice coming out of the radio. And as long as there's a little bit of that happening around camp at different times of the day, um, then we've got this tremendous excitement that we uh, transfer to what's going on in the studio, which is the important part for the kids. So it's still broadcasting over AM today. Is that is that correct? Oh yeah, yes. Um, we we uh, we haven't done any streaming yet, and that's because the camp is very jealous of their bandwidth there. Also, as you might imagine, um, you know, camps uh, uh, you know don't want kids walking around with uh, with iPods all day long. Um, and smartphones, so those are restricted anyway, so that, that they wouldn't be listening on that. Uh, no, they listen on radios that we, uh, we get into the bunk. You asked earlier if there's still AM radios in the bunk. Not so much. So what we do is at the beginning of the season, we buy some cheap 15-buck uh, uh, radios and distribute them around, mm -hmm. and that creates that listenership. And also, I must admit, uh, there's a couple of big speakers on the porch where the canteen is, and that creates a great listening audience in the afternoon, where I think they probably get uh, their highest ratings. Well, and that's typical of my own college radio experience, where I was on a carrier current station that was also piped into our dining hall. So mealtimes were key for us to have people listening to our radio station. Dan Braverman, uh, you're president of Radio uh, Systems Incorporated. Um, get it? Got, you got your start <laughs> creating summer camp radio, and is is this a phenomenon that was confined just to Camp Ramah there in in the Poconos Mountains of Pennsylvania, or do you know are there other other camp radio stations out there, or were there? There, there, there were a smattering. But um, I'll say that when I when I finally got to be 19, 20, 21, and they, you know, was, they finally threw me out of camp, you know, it was enough. Um, I decided that what the world needed was more camp radio stations. So I, uh, I got a little uh, a little uh, truck from the post office for three hundred dollars. They sold at auction, and I drove all around the mountains. And started installing these stations. I think they were two or three hundred dollars a piece. And after a couple of seasons of doing that, and we installed hundreds, I think. Um, uh, surprisingly, I, I took a look at my business plan and I realized, well, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not rich yet, and uh, and uh, and I'm barely in business. And these these camps seem to close after the summer, so there's no more business. So. Um, uh, if you're asking personally uh, uh, how it happened for radio systems, I just expanded the business into something that was year-round. And the logical step was to take this low-power broadcast technology and expand it to schools. So I worked with uh, the company that was the only manufacturer at the time, uh, low-power broadcasting, LPB, at Dick Crompton, um, and installed lots and lots of college radio stations. And then later I uh, went on to manufacture our own transmitters and to, uh, although college and educational radio and carrier current and low power, as, as hopefully you can hear from my, uh, from my tone, is still very much my passion. Um, I have to say that uh, the commercial radio is what pays the bills around here now. <laughs> so we've been, we've been lucky enough to, uh, to work for the clear channels and, and build stations internationally as well, which is, uh, which is where the growth is now, of course. And do, so do you have a sense then, do you recall at all, how many of these camp radio stations you must have put into action? I think 
we installed radio systems installed um, about 250, and um, I would say relatively few of them exist today. Mm-hmm. Which uh, you can hear the sadness in my voice. Um, it's because um, you know equipment at camp tends to uh, be poorly maintained and uh, and not last from season to season. But I think it's because that the the camps that were that were the not the rustic camps, but the camp, the religious camps and the uh, and the expensive camps that had all these fancy programs like uh, like radio have have moved on to video and uh, and and other stuff that 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 looks better in some of the brochures. Frankly, um, I'm sad about that because obviously it's uh, it's uh, it it. it um, I think that the radio in particular, because of the of all the things I described, the involvement of the different camp departments, the listenership throughout the camp, the use of radio instead of uh, PA speakers around the camp, which can be really obnoxious in a camp environment, um, um, is is a great application and 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 sh- and could easily go on uh, today. And uh, also, you know, I think that as you see um, radio start to find its own in, in the United States here, which I guess is a nice way of saying uh, contract. Um, you know, you're 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 seeing in, in a sense, um, you know, local radio really start to boom, and and the big uh, networks start to dissolve, and radio stations um, start to become much more mom and pop in terms of their financing. So, in a funny way, you know, <laughs> camp radio is, is spreading to every community yeah. around. Um, but uh, so maybe maybe we'll have a resurgence in camps as well. When do you think that peak was? Uh, I was I first found out about summer camp radio when you wrote a piece for Radio World about about it, and you had a photo of a plaque from 1992 that indicated that there were more than 350 camp radio stations at that time. So could that have possibly been the peak peak yeah, camp radio I, in the early 90s? I was going to say the 90s, yes. And that probably, um, if you look at statistics, corresponds to to when uh, when the when radio peaked in the United States, when uh, the rest of the 8090 dockets were built out, and we were building the last of our new radio stations in the U.S. as well. So why why has Radio Free Ramah survived through the 90s and beyond? I'm I'm guessing in large part it has to do with you, Dan Braverman, and and your commitment to the station. But is there anything else that that's unique about this place? Uh, where radio is continued to this day at this particular summer camp. Yeah, I, um, I think it's uh, reasonable to make a plug to uh, to Rama. Uh, I think the Rama camps and the Rama movements are are uniquely well-run camps and uniquely dedicated to education and the kind of camps that would realize the the value of of keeping this uh, going. I don't charge uh, because it's uh, it's such a trip for me mm-hmm. just to go up and, and nostalgic, but they do have expenses. They hire a radio director, they buy a little new equipment once in a while. Um, and they've made this commitment to keep continuing it because it uh, it's really valuable. I really I just um it's nice. It's like it makes me think about uh certain things that that schools don't currently have the resources to teach but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have value to students like uh i'm gonna sound so old like cursive handwriting right so here we have a thing that like still has a certain value if it doesn't have um that that shiny newness that uh you know computers and video cameras (laughs) might have like I, i would like to hear dan you talk again about like why what you think a kid, a student, a camper in in this time still has to gain from from uh, getting their turn at the microphone at, at helping to run a radio station at their at their summer camp? Oh my God, you! I could go on for an hour. You'll have to cut me off. I mean, I, I'll, I'll I'll tell it uh, just just uh, episodically. Um, you know, we had a we had a kid that uh, that uh, a sports jock that that broke his leg. And the first thing we did was spool out um, uh, uh, 150 feet of wire to the sports field, and he spent the rest of his summer doing play-by-play, and it just it just saved the summer. 
Um, we've got uh, camps that are camps for obese kids, for for overweight kids, and, um, and and so we've got the whole performance aspect on the radio where the kids were were were, uh, were not as comfortable being out on the stage. You're out in front of people. Um, the um, uh, Camp Rama, when I was there, <laughs> they they took all of the excitement of of uh, of, of radio. Um, and made one little rule for the kids that had to be on the air, which is, by the way, you're going to do this in Hebrew. And wow. Not, not too many of us are fluent, but I got to tell you, I, uh, I went to uh, a Hebrew uh, day school uh, where I got a tremendous amount of, uh, of Hebrew and uh, language education. But I learned to speak Hebrew just in those two months at camp because, you know, if I was going to be on the air, I had to speak Hebrew. So for that particular goal, for for trying to uh, you know provide that religious education, it was tremendous for a camp Ramah. And of course, it's not just Jewish camps. Um, there's all sorts of different denominations that uh, that run camps and that have run radio stations that get to inject all of this uh, philosophy and training uh, into their uh, uh, into the show. Yeah, that um, reminds me a little bit of uh, on our very recent episode. Jennifer took a tour of a uh, private school, uh, Christian school that had a gigantic, uh, radio education component. Uh, that was a really thriving, uh, feature of that Christian school. Right. You know, I, I keep trying to make the point that, that this is just a microcosm of a community so that everything a radio station can do well for a small community. It, it's done well for, uh, for these camps. Um, and uh, and it, it's the perfect analogy. Um, it's just that I guess since there's no financial <laughs> goal, right. um, uh, even though um, I hope uh, when you uh, put the show together, I sent you a clip of some of the commercials the kids put together for the canteen, which I think are great. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So man, you might want to air one now when you edit this. Uh, when you Consider edit this it piece. done. Great. Boy, I sure love this coconut water. It's so refreshing. And I just love that Pringles crunch. No, Chloe's mango is the best. Parents, please, please buy, buy these, these items, items for your children, children on visiting home. day. This ad was approved by Rebecca Boucher and Carlos Bros. Amen. Um, so they had that training as well. Um, but uh, but I think, again, because their, their aspirations were small, it was so successful. And maybe, I ain't no uh, radio expert, but uh, when it comes to industry um, trends, but, but maybe the aspirations of, uh, of commercial broadcast were, uh, were a little too big, especially in the face of, uh, of uh, competition now from other media. So, um, so uh, w- when their aspirations are lowered, uh, these stations will become uh, more successful as well. And that's the voice of Dan Braverman. He is the president of Radio Systems Incorporated. But we're talking about his days creating a summer camp radio station, WCRP, at Camp Ramah in the Poconos of Pennsylvania. And he went on to help build stations at summer camps. Uh, Was it all over the East Coast, Dan? Yeah, um, we we did do some uh, summer camp radio uh, West Coast, um, um, but actually, I hope it's not uh, too much of a stress to say that some of the next things that I was privileged to do, and it's it's pretty analogous, was some uh, were some low power radio stations in Africa, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, those were FM, of course. Um, but um, I, although, and that was much later in my career, of course, uh, by the time uh, radio summer camps were, were dwindling. But in the 2000s, I got to go to Africa and build um, for some local NGOs, some local non-government organizations, uh, some low-powered FM stations. And that was, it was incredibly um, uh, invigorating and, and uh, fruitful for me as well. And I, all the time, all the time, even in, in, a, in, uh, in Malawi or, or a small African village or, or district, um, and we'd put a station on the air and, uh, and uh, the local women's group who was ever running the station would, would gather around. I, I had these flashback images to summer camp radio because it was, uh, it was so connected in terms of the value it had uh, for the villages or the camps. Same thing. 
And it sounds like this gave you your start in radio. I wonder, have you heard stories from other campers who got inspired oh, yeah. to get into broadcasting because of their camp radio experience? All the time. I talk to, you know, in the commercial part of, of radio systems now, of course, I get to talk to broadcasters, uh, jo- disc jockeys or engineers all the time. And, you know, you start off trying to get to know somebody and I'll ask them, uh, how'd you get started in radio? And they'll say, you know, you're not going to believe this, but my summer camp had this radio station. I go, I believe it. <laughs> and then we can usually figure out it was one of ours. So I said, you see, you've been using our equipment all this time. So it's it's a it's a great connection for me. Yeah, it's so interesting because summer camp radio was never on my radar until I read your article. So I'm from the West Coast, and and I know you mentioned you put some stations on in the West Coast, but it, it was it more of an East Coast phenomenon, or am I ill-informed? I may be ill-informed, but I think summer camp is more of an East Coast phenomenon. So I think there's more camps on the East Coast than the West Coast, and that's probably one of the reasons. We, that the West sense. Coast, they just have pools. They just, they just right. send their right. kids out to the backyard. Because these are these are sleepaway camps, correct? So these oh, are yeah. so these are not maybe there's uh, some people you know, go to day camp where you go and and come home, kind of like school. And this is kids are there for weeks at a time, correct? Yeah. Right. Uh, in the old days, they were there for two months at a time, but now most camps have gone to uh, one month uh, um, schedules. Um, oh yeah, that's. I'm curious about that for the current the current um, WCRP, how long are most kids there? And, you know, what does the radio station feel like and how, how often is it changing over as far as the campers? Um, it's, it's pretty much once a month. Some few kids stay for, um, for two months, you know, the ones whose parents don't love them. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, it, uh, it happens for a month and then they do it all over again. They love them um, so much that they're willing to pay twice as much to yes, give them right. the experience These of independence. Camps, many camps, generally not the organizational camps like the religious camps we've been speaking about, but, but camps can be fabulously expensive. Yeah. Um, I guess that's uh, why all the video stuff and all of that, but, um, but, and I, and I often tried to make sure Speaking of which, that that the camp radio thing, because, of course, I believe in it so much educationally and cultural thing, didn't just become a rich kids or a rich camps thing. So uh, so we did discount and donate um, um, stations all over the place to uh, to to camps for underprivileged kids as we didn't. uh, We obviously the application was as or more important there. So that's great. Yeah, that's really great to hear that you did that. That's very important. I just when you were talking about how you would meet people that got their first experience in radio because they were uh, lucky enough to just show up one day to a summer camp and find out that that summer camp had a radio station and they stumbled into it. It made me think like it's like if there was only like a, a handful of libraries that kids would find at summer camp, then we'd only have a handful of readers. Right. The more radio right. stations there there are out there for students to engage in, the more people would find out that radio was one of their passions. And we were we were talking uh, off mic before about the best summer camp movie ever. Yes, Wet Hot American Summer, which was filmed at uh, Camp Tawanda, just uh, a mile down the road from Camp Rama, and um, it features heavily the uh, that's right the radio station at camp. You know, so we've. Uh, uh, we've, uh, I think we've made our mark. Well, what do you know about that? Uh, the, you know, 2001 film made by the members of the comedy troupe, the state, uh, you know, this was their first film and it was a financial failure, but a cult classic. And it, you know, it, it takes place at summer camp in the 1980s at a Jewish summer camp in the 1980s. And, uh, a radio station there features prominently in the subplot of one of the, one of the characters. It's the first time I ever was aware of the concept of there being summer camp radio was because of this uh, film that's a semi-autobiographical film about going to Jewish summer camp in the 80s. So clearly the idea was seeded out there uh, for all all Jewish kids who went to summer camp, that they, they would interact with the radio station in one way or another. Well, I don't, I don't know the name of the uh, – speaking of audio autobiographical, I don't know the name of the, the, the uh, kid that uh, plays the uh, – the fat little mm-hmm. uh, radio dweeb that goes he to won't set up shower. the station, but they—I ought to get a commission every time they show that. That—that that was me. 
<laughs> did you did you shower during your first uh, year on, at the radio station? Of course not. Okay, yeah, because that's the that's his main character flaw yeah. is that he refuses to shower. I don't know why I was so unpopular, but maybe now that you mention it. <laughs> and that is the voice of Dan Braverman, president of Radio Systems Incorporated. We're talking about summer camp radio here on Radio Survivor with the Sound of Strong Communities. My name is Paul Reismandel. You just heard from Eric Klein and Jennifer Waits joins us on the line from San Francisco. And uh, Dan... So you built this company then, Radio Systems Incorporated, inspired by your camp radio experience. And you worked in uh, building carrier current and and low-power AM radio stations. But I understand uh, you're no longer in that business right now. Is that correct? It's true. Um, And that's only only by about a year. It was hard because uh, you can tell how emotionally attached I am to this. But we we just sold off our AM division, which included these low-power transmitters and even um, a little tenth of a watt transmitter, another form of unlicensed broadcasting that we didn't talk about before. I forgot to mention it. Um, these were called talking house transmitters. They were made for the real estate industry back when. Um, and uh, that has all been sold to our distributor a company called Information Station Specialists in uh, down, beautiful downtown Zeeland, Michigan. And they continue to sell these low-power AM transmitters. But I would have to say that rather than college or camp uh, carrier current or low-power um, applications, 99% of the use of these uh, transmitters today finds themselves in what's called traveler's information radio, yeah. roadside yeah. radio. If you've, uh, I don't know if you've ever spoken about it uh, on your station, but uh, but if you drive down the road and see Tune 530 for airport information or scenic overlooks, we'll sometimes use them. That's that's really where low power AM is today. Uh, it's obviously on college campuses has been replaced uh, completely either by uh, FM or uh, or internet radio stations. Yeah, we have discussed uh, the Part 15 uh, transmission here. Uh, on the podcast, and you can learn more about that at our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Um, you know, it's it's a recurring topic here because it's something which uh, folks often don't even realize that, especially in the AM dial, there's a little carve out to do this without a license in all these different ways, whether it's uh, carrier current or whether it's with, a you know, the little 100 milliwatt uh, transmitters that are Part 15 compliant. And, of course, you mentioned the Traveler's Information Stations. Those are licensed and they're licensed by the FCC, but again, they're licensed specifically at, at low power. And, and so uh, why did you uh, sell off this division? Uh, what, was, what ultimately moved uh, your company, uh, Radio Systems Inc., to uh, sell it over to the uh, folks at Information Station Specialists? Um, <laughs> I, uh, it, it was hard. It probably should have happened 10 years ago. We weren't making enough transmitters to really uh, afford the, the specialized technicians here to do it. You know, um, it's a it's a joke, but no joke in the industry that, you know, if you if you own an AM radio station, you're in trouble for a lot of reasons. And one of them is that, uh, you know, your your engineer adjusting your uh, your transmitter and your phaser arrays is uh, is probably uh, 80 years old. It, it's a dying technology. It was harder and harder for us to hire people that knew how to calibrate and make the transmitters. Um, but information station specialists, our, our, our distributor did have people that knew that and it was their sole business. So we, uh, I had to make a hard business you've, decision. And you've it was, heard, you've I, heard I, our I hearts by calling it a dying technology. We, we always try to sort of, um, here at radio survivor, uh, couch that hard truth perhaps in some other, you know, we talk about how, um, for, for one thing, how the AM dial has been allowed to sort of be encroached upon by other technologies that are newer and, and, uh, and maybe more privileged, but uh, aren't even broadcast technologies, right? We have uh, LED light bulbs uh, putting a lot of noise there on the AM dial. But yeah, fair enough. Dying, dying technology? I'm, I'm trying to poke Paul into saying something about <laughs> about the, the verb I mean, dying. Well, I mean, I think, uh, Dan, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying in some extent is that the, that the expertise uh, required is dying out because it's not really something which I think anyone, can you go to school for that now? I mean, it, it would be, are there broadcast 
technician you or broadcast never engineer. never could go to school for it. I mean, every yeah. broadcast engineer, um, you know, was tutored by by mm. the older guy at the station. It's it's a tremendous problem in in the radio industry right now. Not only for AM, but for better techno, but for better sounding. Why don't I say that technologies like FM? Um, you know, there's there's a, a, a lessening engineering pool. Um, you know, we make we we make equipment that requires engineers to to wire it and program it and put it together. And I do customer service for my company a lot because I think it's a good thing for the boss to be doing, and uh, and I enjoy it. And you know, I'll pick up and I'll say, well, uh, sure, we can we can fix that. Uh, can I talk to your engineer? And the guy says, "What engineer? I'm the general manager. Tell me how to fix this thing." Wow, they're just they're just not there anymore, and and, and it's a big uh, it's a big issue not only in AM. So, I mean, this takes me back to the camp radio station. Are you are you training the next generation person uh, for when you're no longer able to go up and and get the station started again for the summer? I, I thought that was you, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, guys, I don't know if you want to get into this, and uh, and uh, you can edit it if you'd like. But um, in in a in a further response to you uh, to you saying you don't like the term "dying uh, AM," um, this I, I will put myself on the record, mm-hmm. um, even though I know I shouldn't argue with my hosts. That despite how nostalgic I am about it, despite uh, how good AM's been to me. And to my summer camps and to radio systems, uh, I have to say that I really won't be sorry to get it, see it go. You know, I don't think of radio as AM or FM. I, I think of radio as the programming that's being done. Like, for instance, the programming that we're doing right now on the Internet. Um, and if you allow that wider definition, as I think maybe some of the uh, owners of, of, of radio stations didn't in the 80s and the 90s, and that's part of the reason why there's been such of a decline. If you allow the, this broader concept of radio, then just losing a few frequencies that are not as technically capable anymore in favor of, of, of wideband internet or in favor of satellite broadcasting, it's a good thing. It makes it more widely available. It makes it sound better. It makes licenses um, a thing of the past. So it, it, it creates a, a wonderful free spectrum uh, for people with particular views and without the cash to buy a, what used to be a $300 million license. Um, it's okay. It's okay to see the older technologies grow into newer, better ones. We'll and, put it that way. They're and, not dying. They're maturing. And Dan, I don't. You won't find a lot of disagreement here. I think we like to think about radio as this broader spectrum, right? That encompasses all these audio and voice technologies. I think, uh, speaking only for myself, my only concern is ever about radio. Maybe not AM necessarily. Is that uh, you know it's a technology that still works when your cell phone's out. It's a technology that still works when, in some cases, the power is out and all you have is a generator, right? And lots of radio stations end up in sort of uh, a role of playing, uh, being very important emergency communications when there are hurricanes and other natural disasters. And that if you, you know, if your power's out for days, but you've got a radio and some batteries, you can still stay in touch with the world. And many broadcasters still take that role uh, of public service very seriously and are equipped to to go on the air, even in the event of some natural disaster. And, and that it, it sort of plays a role. But I think, you know, t- to your point uh, about uh, you know, there being this broader definition, you know, in this day and age as well, I always recommend if you have an FM station, you have an AM station, you should be on the internet as well. You should be taking advantage of all these other platforms and making sure that people can hear you regardless. So whether they only have cell phones, or smartphones, as many young people do these days, or whether they only have radios, that, that you're still maximally accessible. And luckily, uh, the conversation we're having here, we're on, we're a podcast. You are all, you're on a dozen or so radio stations as well. So people are we on be, any AM stations? Be hearing you over FM. We, we are on it's some part. I'm getting hate mail. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we're all we all live here in reality, Dan Braverman. So we yeah. we know where AM 
is in 2018. Oh, absolutely. But we are on some part 15 AM stations. But there's something to be said. And I just, I mean, as a father of a 12 year old summer camp, uh, uh, camper right now, it's like, you know, like you said, these camps in 2018 do, do not rightfully, I will say, uh, do not allow their campers to, to, uh, meander about the grounds with their individual, uh, internet connected devices in their hands at all times. They're supposed to leave that stuff at home. And there's really something um, uh, useful about this uh, more focused communications medium that it's one channel for a group of people. It's social. Yes. Right? And, I mean, you mentioned. Community. Yeah. You mentioned you, you think it's a, you know, you said that it's a small community. It's a small microcosm in camp. And our, um, our frequent uh, commentator and our co-editor at Radio Survivor, Matthew Lassar, would also make an argument that the simultaneity of radio, all these people listening to the same thing at the at the same time, sometimes also in groups, right? A radio, you know, in the past people would gather around the radio, but often people have a radio on still in an office yeah, or on at home where as, many people are listening. As Dan not Braverman just in was describing, the the groups was every every bunk, yeah. not every bunk, right? Every cabin was listening together, so that when cabin number six Seven was announced as the winner that that day. They the whole cabin cheered, and, and also all the campers around the around the dining hall. Yeah. And of course, that could be an internet radio station, although camps out in the woods yeah. don't have great internet. I suppose. And then there's that. And then there's that. <laughs> well, and, you don't have to set up an AT and T Verizon tower to get your to get your content. You yeah. Really, you can go about it in a more. Um, uh, you can go it alone with these Part Fifteen. Uh, well, and it's intriguing, too, that, you know, because we've been talking about changes in technology and the Internet, uh, it's intriguing that the station WCRP is still only available on AM and creating this ephemeral one-time experience. And and at so camp, how does that yeah. – at camp, yeah. So how does it make that station different from other kinds of radio stations where you might be able to access it? later on, you know, on demand, uh, you know, are the parents ever able to hear this station or is it really like this <laughs> secret station that's only happening at camp and, and never to be heard again? Yeah, those are, those are good points. I don't want to, I don't want to contradict myself, but I feel that especially with AM um, and, and the very localized nature of it and the very free and license free nature of it, I think there'll always be a role for it if we can hang on to the spectrum. You might be able also to play a uh, to play a uh, blurb of uh, of, uh, of uh, something called the Peace Ship um, by uh, uh, by uh, really a hero uh, by the name of uh, Abinatan, who, uh, who along with John Lennon, back in 1973, started this peace ship, parked in the Mediterranean, and broadcast to most of the Middle East about the, to stop some of the conflicts there. The October war should be the last war. No more war, no more bloodshed. Peace is the word, and the voice of peace is the station. 24 hours a day and we used to rebroadcast uh, his stuff all the time that's that's how we felt about ourselves you know this this ship on this ocean um uh you know broadcasting these messages uh, these cultural messages and messages of peace i um i i remember a story well this really happened to me and i uh so i'm owning this uh this little tale that i often uh, that i often tell um when i'm uh when I'm uh, invited to, to talk to a group of radio broadcasters or maybe a college broadcast class. And that is that when I was really young, I mean, seven or eight, my parents took me out to a movie. And I remember um, uh, we were standing in line for tickets and there was this commotion, something going on. And people were were uh, leafleting or uh, signing a petition. And they asked my father if he wanted to sign and they told him what for. And my father signed it. And, of course, I asked him what this was all about. And he explained to me that there was this threat to movie theaters that they were petitioning against. It was something I had never heard of called HBO. And this was going to put movie theaters out of business because why would people go to the movies if they could just watch movies at home? And the movie theater owners were all upset about it. Now, now we know the end of that story. HBO did not put movie theaters out of business. It coexists very well, as a matter of fact, by creating secondary and tertiary markets 
for uh, a lot of uh, a lot of movies. Um, it actually was a great help to the movie industry, and it created this multi-tiered distribution system. And I'll say that AM and FM and satellite and internet will do all of that for radio programming as well. Well, I think that's a great point to uh, to leave on uh, an optimistic an optimistic viewpoint on the future of radio. We've been speaking with Dan Braverman. He's the president of Radio Systems Incorporated. We've been talking about Summer Camp Radio and the grand legacy of Summer Camp Radio and and the particular technologies used, low-power AM, legal, unlicensed broadcasting, out in the woods in the still, Pocono Mountains. Still available today if you happen to uh, be a part of a summer camp community. If, if you're driving by... Uh, if you're driving by Camp Ramah in the Poconos and you turn your, is it still on 6:40 a.m. Dan? Uh, no, with the uh, with the new free radiating antenna technology, that stuff works a little better on the upper end of the band. So now we're at 1200. 1200 a.m. If you're in the Pocono Mountains, I also just want somebody who's listening to start a radio station at their summer camp or high school community. Absolutely, it's all it's all, the technology is still available. And unlicensed. Indeed. And we'll have links to all of that in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Survivor. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really happy that we spoke with Dan Braverman about summer camp radio because now, uh, now we know that this thing exists and we would love to hear from you out there in radio land and podcast land. If you have a summer camp radio experience, uh, any memory at all of listening to the radio or participating in making radio at your summer camp, please do reach out to us. You can email us at podcast at radiosurvivor.com to tell us your story because we didn't know. And now we know and we want to know more. The world is unfolding. And Jennifer, you found a connection within the Radio Survivor universe to uh, this station, WCRP, at uh, Camp Ramah in uh, the Poconos of Pennsylvania. Yeah, this is so crazy to me. There's really, there isn't really much of a web presence for this. Well, there isn't a web presence at all yeah. for this camp radio station. So, you know, most of the information that I know about it is from this conversation that we just had. Um, but it turns out that friend of Radio Survivor, radio producer and journalist David Gorin, who who we've been talking to about his mapping of pirate radio in Brooklyn, turns out he got his start at this Camp Ramah radio station. His first radio gig was when he was 15 and a camper. So it is a very small world indeed. It's the world of radio. And that interview with uh, David Gorn about the uh, pirate radio map is number 133. Podcast number 133 at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. It's so funny, Jennifer, because you're always talking with people and you find out that their first radio experience was back in college radio. And and a light bulb goes off and you make a mental note. But here now we're going to find out. That there's all these people out there that we're going to meet who who had their first experience in summer camp radio. It's very I exciting. know. And, and David, so the reference I found, it was in one of his bios online. And it says, David Gorin started out in radio at age 15 on WCRP, the mighty voice of Camp Ramah in the Poconos, where his late Saturday night show, Jazz ah. 74, reached as many as 14 campers with a taste for Maynard Ferguson, Chuck Mangione, and Frank Zappa. That's so delightful. I love the idea of 15 That's a lot, of, a lot of flugelhorn yeah. is what that <laughs> is. And, and there's a great connection as well uh, because, you know, we talked about the Antarctica radio station at uh, at McMurdo Station there on episode number 146, just a couple of episodes ago. And, uh, you know, one of the things which it's it sort of related to that came up in the conversation is Mini-FM, which is unlicensed FM stations in Japan, uh, sort of created by this media theorist, Tetsuo Kogawa. Also referenced on episode 147, the prison radio exhibit. Indeed. You know, those artists were inspired by that. It comes through many times, you know, this idea of creating radio to serve small communities or, or help to build or bolster ties within small communities. And, and, and Tetsuo Kogawa with Mini FM, uh, he's talked about, you know, going on the air with a small signal and, and inviting people over. 
and bring a guitar, bring an instrument, sing, and and, and, and right. we have a radio party. But if you don't feel like coming to his apartment and you live a few floors uh, below him, you can turn on your radio and enjoy what's happening. And, and join in And if you virtually. don't like it, you can turn it off. What a wonderful thing for introverts <laughs> to get to know their neighbors. Indeed. <laughs> and even all this talk of uh, carrier current radio stations going over wires, it loops us back to something else. Ah, yes. So uh, another recent episode that we all really enjoyed was where we talked with Ryan McMichael of the Hip Hop Radio Archive. And Ryan referenced that during his college radio days, he worked on something or was broadcast on something that he was vaguely aware of and apologized for bringing it up without knowing what the details were. But the words he used were leaky cable. Yeah, he said it was an FM station at his college. And uh, I came on the next week. I was not part of that interview. I came on to sort of correct the record saying, well, the only leaky cable I know about is AM radio. And it's more like it's more like gas pipe radio carrier current. But luckily, our listeners are smarter than we are. Uh, Kent Peterson from Minneapolis dropped us a line to say, hey, um, actually, leaky cable can be used for FM, too. And the idea is basically you just have a long piece of wire that functions as the antenna. So it very well could be like a coaxial cable that would bring you the TV content. Very much like that. And, and, And you just broadcast very low power so that people who are nearby the cable can tune it in. And uh, Kent points out, and he's completely right, that there's a long history of this happening on the FM dial. Uh, He mentions that in the county courthouse in Minneapolis, audio from county board meetings are on an FM frequency Hmm. that could be tuned in inside of the county courthouse. It's not licensed, and you can only hear it a certain distance from this cable, but if you're in there with an FM radio, uh, you can listen to the... uh, to the county board meetings. And that's so, really important. Not whenever there's something very exciting, the room might fill up and the fire department might not allow another member of the public to, to join the proceedings, but you can listen to it live uh, right down the hall in another room. Yeah, so uh, radio technology applied in all these ways we don't always think about or know about. Thank you, Kent Peterson, for helping yeah. us to uh, keep the, and, the record correct. And thank you, Ryan McMichael. You were right. Indeed. Yes. Uh, so I apologize. I'm on the record once again being wrong, but we'll, if someone's <laughs> keeping score at home. Radio is complicated, Paul. Radio is complicated. I'm keeping score, Paul. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, Jennifer, for bringing in Dan Braverman. Thank you to everybody who supports Radio Survivor. If you want to learn more about how to help us do what we do, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. We are a reader and listener supported enterprise. And there's lots more at radiosurvivor.com, including this podcast. We'd love it if you would subscribe if that's how you listen is via podcast subscribe it like apple Podcasts, itunes stitcher whatever you use to get podcasts please subscribe to us there so you never miss an episode we're also heard on radio stations across the united states again you can learn where your most local affiliate is at radiosurvivor.com thank you so much everybody for listening in and spending another hour with us yeah thank you everybody thanks jennifer Thanks. An invasion in Philadelphia. At one o'clock this morning, an unidentified flying object landed and conquered Philadelphia. The range of damage is multiplying astronomically. We will be back soon with more updates. Welcome back. We now send you to our reporter in the field, Jeff Johnson. The aliens have been identified as Jupiterian beings. Jupiterian beings. They initially made landfall on Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. Military forces are mobilizing, and President Trump has declared a state of emergency. Breaking news. Congress has officially declared war with the aliens. With more information, we send you back to our field reporter, Jeff Johnson. The aliens have greatly advanced technology and analysis efforts, have yet to yield any information. We'll return as soon as we have more information to return uh, to report. Welcome back. An update on the analysis of the alien weapons. Traces of a unique metal have been discovered. The government is analyzing it, replicating it, and us- and utilizing it quickly. I've just been told we have a witness on the ground in uh, Philadelphia. We'll take you to them now. They, they shot at me. Crash. My family. They're gone. They have my my two sons, my lovely no. daughter, my wife, they're gone. Only a small pile of ash. No. Oh, help. 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 Help.
We need your help. <laughs> we need your help. Now back to our field reporter, Jeff Johnson, who has an alien willing to be interviewed. How do you like our planet? Legal Borg, Uber, Tuck, Galifrax, Posip, Traskalic, B. Dor, Herkel, Flagaret, Wardis, Gutterick, Cleric, Colomini, Itchador. Do you speak our language? Ah! No! Help! Pew, pew! Save me! That was our former field reporter, Jeff Johnson, being devoured by an alien. Back to you in the studio, Ben. Damage is spreading far. The aliens have now conquered all of the United States and are beginning to invade Canada. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. Canada is now a state of emergency. All, or, uh, all airports across the world have been closed. Asia is almost overtaking. The IDF is engaged. The aliens and African nations have begun to respond to the attack. We will be back soon with more updates. This freak accident was produced by Ben Garger, Elizabeth Aronson, Jordan Koss, Eli Wahlberg, Lexi Sussman, Sam Grunberg, and Gavin Emdor. This, this has, has been, been Ramah Radio, Radio, where the radio is always Ramah.